It's great to be with you in Mesa, everyone in Ahwatukee, everyone who's with us online. We love you and we're glad to be together today as we continue this series called A Sacrifice of Praise. It's a series about worship and we're talking about what we just did, what the Bible says about it, and why it's so important for you. The passage that kind of carries us through this series is Hebrews 13. Verse 15, which says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And last week I talked about worship as warfare, that our battle's not against flesh and blood. So if you want to win a spiritual battle, you got to wage spiritual war and you fight with your worship. So if you've missed any of the weeks of this series, go back, watch those sermons online, on YouTube, on the church app, and catch up, because this is so important for you and your walk with God. Today, I want to talk about worshiping in his presence, worshiping in his presence. I've been a little sick this week, but I'm here. Thanks for your prayers. Thankful for uh, Tylenol, Dayquil, the power of the Holy Spirit, and adrenaline. We're going to get through this in Jesus' name. In Psalm 95, it says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. There's nothing like being in the presence of God, right? Isn't it crazy how just one moment in God's presence can change your entire life? You saw that all throughout scripture when Jesus would encounter someone, sometimes for just a moment, it would change that person forever. And oftentimes their family and their community, God's presence changes everything, but I think there's confusion about God's presence, because on one hand, he is everywhere. On the other hand, he's inside of us, but then we can also experience his presence in a special way when we worship him. So I'm going to teach on this. So if you got notes, you can write this down. You can take some notes, follow along. First, God is omnipresent. This word omnipresent means he's all present. He's everywhere. And omni means all. So you'll hear theologians use use words like omniscient, which is omniscience, all-knowing, omnipotent, which is all-powerful. He's also omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. And we see this in scripture, Jeremiah 23. It says, can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord. He's like, I'm everywhere. No one can hide from me. In Psalm 139, this is about God. The psalmist says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. And so now you realize how silly it is that Jonah tried to run from God. Where were you going, bro? (laughs) He's everywhere. And many of you remember a time in your life when you ran from God. And the harder you ran, the more tired you got. But further from God, you got not. You couldn't get away from him because his spirit is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. You can't escape him. And honestly, you wouldn't want to. There's only one place where God's presence is completely removed, and that's hell. Hell is a real place the Bible talks about. It's a place of suffering, fire, torment, anguish. And the worst part about hell, you would think it's the fire, but that's just based on our limited human understanding. It's actually being eternally cut off 
from God's presence. You've never been completely cut off from God's presence. You realize that? Even before you accepted Jesus as your savior, you still benefited from God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. And so indirectly, even unbelievers benefit from God's goodness. The beauty of a sunset conveys God's goodness and majesty to all mankind and fills your heart with joy even on a hard day. The delicious taste of a burger, like a real burger, not a plant-based burger, you know? (laughs) It conveys God's goodness and you taste something like that and you just know, oh, there's a God and he's good. You've never been completely cut off from his presence. Every day you experience indirectly his goodness and his mercy, the story of God's love and goodness. It saturates the world all around us. And so to be completely removed from God's presence is a fate too terrible to wish on even your worst enemy. Some of you are here and you're like, well, why do I need to become a Christian? My life is good. I've got a Got a lot of good things in my life. I'm not struggling. I'm not at rock bottom. Maybe someone tricked you into coming to church today. They said they're going to take you to lunch, and they just stopped here on the way. (laughs) And you're probably thinking, what am I doing here? I don't need this. I'm fine. I'm good. Well, you might be good now because you're benefiting from the goodness of God indirectly. But if you were to die in a state of separation from God, you would spend eternity separated from God in hell. There is no purgatory, there's no reincarnation, there's no hope for those who die in a state of separation from God. And so I'm pleading with anyone who might be far from God today, give your life to Jesus, let him save you from hell and forgive your sins and adopt you into his family as a child of God while you still can. There's nothing better than being in God's presence and there's nothing worse than being removed from his presence. I'm grateful as a child of God, I will never be separated from him. Aren't you grateful for that? He's everywhere and he's a big God. I'm just so grateful he's a big God, so big. He could hold the whole universe in his hands, which means your biggest problems look small to him. He's omnipresent. Here's the second thing. God is present in his people. He's present in his people. Romans 8 verse 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. So you have a sinful nature, even though you're a Christian. It sometimes causes you to want to sin. You're drawn and tempted by sin at times, even though you love the Lord. We all are. We all struggle with this. But scripture tells us you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You can't say the devil made me do it. You can't say I couldn't help it. Yes, you could, because you're not controlled by your sinful nature. That's for free today. This isn't even part of the sermon. (laughs) You are controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So he says it, and he says it again, that every single Christian has the Spirit of God living in them. And if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, That means you're not a Christian because every single Christian does. Everyone, everyone in our church who is a believer in Jesus, every Christian around the world who's a believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Even the mean Christians (laughs) who are judgy 
and meat. Like even they have the Holy Spirit. They might not see as much fruit of the Spirit, but they still have the Holy Spirit if they've placed their faith in Jesus. So if you're a Christian, man, there's probably been times in your life where you kind of felt like you were far from God. I've been there. You know, you feel like that sometimes. Like, I just feel like I'm kind of distant from God right now. But the truth is you're not. You're not distant from him because he's in you. You might not be in sync with him, but he is with you. I, I had a roommate my junior year in college, and we really weren't friends. Like, I lived in a bedroom. He had a bedroom. We shared a common space, but we were just so different. We had nothing in common. It was like, we're not even trying to be friends. We weren't even pretending to be friends. Like I was doing my thing. I wasn't perfect, but you know, I was trying to get good grades. I was in ROTC. I was preparing and training to become an army officer. I think he was training to break the world record for most beers drank in a single week. (laughs) We just didn't have a lot in common. So we didn't really hang out. You know, we shared a common space, but we didn't have anything in common. I actually was thinking about it this week. I can remember his face, but I actually can't remember his name. (laughs) Some of you think, well, that makes you a terrible person. Well, I don't know. (laughs) We weren't friends. (laughs) I try to remember all y'all's names. It's hard enough. I can't remember people's names I'm not even friends with. Anyway, so the point is we lived together, but we didn't have a relationship. We didn't talk. We didn't spend time together. We didn't hang out. And I just wanted to encourage someone today. Don't take for granted that you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You have the opportunity to fellowship with him, to talk to him, to spend time together with him. And the more you spend time in relationship with him, the more you can benefit from being friends with him. He's always with you and he's living inside you. And don't take that for granted because it wasn't always that way. Many of you, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't always that way. There used to be a point in time when God's people did not get to come into his presence. It was very limited. In fact, it talks about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. It says, across the entrance of the most holy place, he hung a curtain made of fine linen, decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and embroidered with figures of cherubim. So this curtain in the temple in the tabernacle, which was the portable temple, it hung and separated the holy of holies from the place where other priests could do ministry and, and walk around. But then there was a sec- this section that was the holy of holies. And only the high priest, one person, one man, could enter into the holy of holies where God's presence was one time per year on the day of atonement to sprinkle blood from a sacrificial lamb on the altar, on the mercy seat, which was part of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was for the forgiveness of sins for God's people. This one guy got to go into God's presence and and, maybe hear from God. And everybody else was standing outside, outside of God's presence, gathered around like, what did he say? How did it go? This one guy got to go in and he actually had to perform all these ceremonial purification rituals to be cleansed of his own sin before he could go into God's presence because sin cannot exist in God's presence. They actually tied a rope around his ankle because if he went into that place with sin in his life, God would strike him dead. And the other priests couldn't even come in to get him 
So they just drug the guy out by, by his ankle, right? Some of you are like, man, if I go to church, God will strike me dead. And like, well, at one point he may have, but fortunately he doesn't do that anymore. People were cut off, but Jesus changed the game. His blood was shed as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate day of atonement when Jesus hung on the cross once and for all for the forgiveness of sins. He caused death to pass over us so we could live. And here's what it says in Matthew 27, 50, when Jesus was on the cross, it says, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. Notice that Jesus was not murdered. No one took his life from him. He gave up his life as a sacrifice. He released his spirit when he was ready to die. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Notice that detail, top to bottom. What does that signify? It signifies that God reached down from heaven and tore the veil. It wasn't torn from bottom to top as it would have been if humans had torn the veil. God tore the veil. God said, I'm no longer off limits from my people because the blood that Jesus shed cleanses all unrighteousness. And so now you have access to God's presence. In Hebrews 3, it says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So I, I talk to Christians oftentimes who will say that they're struggling and they'll say, you know, I just have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness. Does anyone relate to that? I just have a hard time believing I'm forgiven and then God, that God accepts me fully. I have a hard time forgiving myself. I, I hear people say stuff like that. And I just want to encourage you. God has completely forgiven you and removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. If you're holding on to guilt, you're holding on to something God has already taken from you. It doesn't belong to you. You have no right to hold your own sins over your head because God has already removed them. And this is just like, I don't know if this will help anyone or not. I wasn't planning on saying, it, saying this at all, but just theologically, you don't need to forgive yourself because you're not the one who, who was sinned against. Your sin was an offense to God. He was the one who needed to forgive you, and he's the only one that has the authority to forgive you. So you don't need to forgive yourself because God has already forgiven you. You just need to accept what he's already given He's forgiven. And so I want to encourage you in this. If you're ever like, man, I don't feel worthy to worship. I don't feel qualified to come into God's presence because you're thinking about your sins. Maybe even just do this exercise. Maybe just write what it is that you sin, how you sin. Write it down on a piece of paper. Whatever it is, maybe, maybe you struggle with unforgiveness, with lust, with pornography, with selfishness, with lying, with anger. Just write it and then just tear it in half. And just remember that Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And God tore the curtain, which means he wants to have a relationship with you the way that you are. He sees you as holy, righteous, and forgiven because of faith in Jesus. So this is so awesome. Rather than limit access to God's presence and keep sinful people out of the holiest place, God made sinful people holy through faith and put his spirit in you so you would have unlimited, constant access 
to God's presence. And now your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because God is with you, that means you're never alone. You're never alone. Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You're never alone. So you don't need to be afraid, regardless of what you face, because God always has your back. If you feel lonely, that feeling is not a reflection of your reality. God is with you. You might be single, but you're not alone because God is with you. You might have lost a spouse, but you're not alone because God is with you. He will go before you and never forsake you. So here's a good question. All that to lead up to this point. If God is with you and God is everywhere, what's the point of even going to church? You didn't think I would ask that as a pastor. I'm not afraid to ask that question. <laughs> I oftentimes will see people you know, on, on Facebook, they'll be like, I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian and I have God's spirit. What do I need church for? Well, first off, the Bible says, do not neglect the gathering together as some people are inclined to do. <laughs> not you all, right? Not, the, not those of you who are watching online. You're all good. I'm talking about some people who aren't here right now, <laughs> who are neglecting. We do, we do need to come together to encourage one another. But then it's bigger than that. There's more to it than that. I want you to realize this, that God shows up when we lift him up in worship. God's presence is made manifest in a special, unique way when his people come together to lift up his name and worship him. I want you to understand this. This word manifest, it means to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. Don't tell me, show me. I got a little baby girl and I know she loves me in her heart. She doesn't always show me she loves me. She's in a phase where she prefers her mom. This too shall pass. <laughs> but sometimes when the mood is right, she'll reach up to me and she'll, she'll cuddle. This morning, she's getting a little older. She can respond to things now. This morning, I was like, can I have a hug? She gave me a hug and put her head on my chest. And I'm just like... Oh, this is amazing. It, it actually happened. I have a witness. It actually happened. She loves me in her heart, but then sometimes her love is made manifest. It's demonstrated. See, God is everywhere. God is with you, but then sometimes his presence is demonstrated and made evident in a unique, special way. And it happens when people come together in his name and lift him up in worship. It says in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. That's what Jesus said. Where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, I want to talk about the context of this verse. This passage, Matthew 18, is talking about resolving conflict between Christians. And this is a reference to Deuteronomy where it talks about if you have an accusation against someone, you need two or three witnesses for it to be a valid accusation in the court of law. So junior varsity Bible snobs will say that is a verse in reference to Deuteronomy. And here's what happens. You know, you'll have people read this passage or they'll quote it when Christians come together and they'll say, guys, when two or three are gathered, God is here among us. 
You know, maybe it's in your life group and everybody else canceled except for two people. And your life group leader was like, well, where two or three are gathered, at least God is here among us. And it's, it's true. Or maybe you came to a, you know, a church service or a night of worship and the worship pastor gets up and is like, hey, y'all, it's great to be together. Where two or three are gathered, God is here among us. And, and the JV Bible snobs will say, you're taking that verse out of context. You're taking it out of context. That's not what it's about. It's about resolving church conflict. And I wanna teach you the pro level of Bible exposition. I talked about this on my Instagram this week, so I'm assuming you already saw it because I'm your pastor. Obviously, you follow me on Instagram. (laughs) You don't? Like, that's hurtful. Why? (laughs) Pro level Bible study is when you can identify the principle that applies beyond the context. Pro-level Bible study identifies the principle that goes beyond the context. And in order for that to be true, you have to see the principle beyond the context. So yes, Jesus said this at the end of a conversation about resolving church conflict, but there is truth in this statement that goes beyond that context. Jesus doesn't say anything by accident. He's pretty good with words. (laughs) He is the word. And when he tells us we can come to him with childlike faith, this is a little little pro tip right here. That means when you read scripture, read it with childlike faith. If you just read it with childlike faith, oftentimes you'll actually get the deepest level of understanding. When two or three come together, there is authority and the presence of God in that gathering. I'm gonna show you that that's true. The Holy Spirit's with us, he's all around us, he's in us, but when Christians come together to worship God, he shows up in a special way and his presence is made manifest. This is a supernatural and spiritual reality that applies to the Holy Spirit, but also evil spirits. I want you to think about this. In witchcraft, in the occult, there is a ceremony called an evocation where occultists will come together and they will call on demons to manifest themselves. And that oftentimes does result in real demonic manifestation. I've talked to people who've experienced it. It's very scary. Or there's a ceremony called a seance where a medium will attempt to make contact with the dead. Sometimes people will go and meet with a medium unsuspecting to make contact with a lost loved one who they miss. And just out of grief and hurt, they think, well, I wanna talk to my loved one again. And so they'll, they'll go through this ceremony, and I think probably a lot of the times it's all just fake and made up. But sometimes there are things that happen. But I want you to realize the truth that it's not your loved one that you're making contact with, it's demons pretending to be loved ones. That's why the Bible tells us not to try to contact the dead because you're opening a door to something demonic and dangerous. Or maybe you remember growing up in a time, even seeing commercials on TV for Ouija boards. You guys remember that? Let's let's ask questions. Ooh, I'm not moving it. You're moving it. I'm not moving it. You're moving. That's actually a satanic witchcraft game taking place 
among unsuspecting people, when you call out to spirits and open yourself up to them, when you come together and focus on them and, draw, and you ask for them to come and make themselves present, they do. They do. They respond that way. So don't mess with that. That stuff is bad. It's off limits. It's scary. You do not want to mess with that stuff. But if that's true for demonic spirits, how much truer is it that when God's people come together and lift up the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who hears everything and knows everything will make himself manifest among us. In Psalm 22, it says, yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. God, he inhabits the praises of his people. I wanna show you in scripture and demonstrate the principle that God shows up when we come together to lift him up and that God's presence changes us. It changes us. One moment in his presence can change everything for you. His presence brings peace to chaos. When you feel overwhelmed, like your life is out of control and your head is spinning, you need to spend time in God's presence. In John 20, when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples heard the good news, but they hadn't seen him yet. And so they gathered together. It said on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, what happened? Jesus came and stood among them. That reminds me of something else he said. When two or three gather together, there I am among you. And what did he say? The first word out of his mouth, peace. Peace be with you. In Exodus 33, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God said this to Moses. If your life feels out of control and chaotic and you feel overwhelmed, you need to spend time in God's presence. Put some worship music on. Sing, it is well with my soul. Let God's presence bring peace to your chaos. The crazier your life gets, the louder your worship needs to get. And then here's the second thing. His presence brings joy to our sadness. It's normal to feel sad. Christians get sad sometimes. We're not always happy. We have the joy of the Lord, but we deal with sadness in real life. In John 20, right after Jesus showed up, it said, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus still has that effect on everyone who sees him today, everyone who spends time in his presence today. We don't always worship God because we're glad, but when we worship him, it makes us glad. We're supposed to come into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. We make a joyful noise and give him praise. And I wanna just, just kind of help you with this. When you worship him and when you focus on the victory he's given you, right, it's gonna bring joy to your heart. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. That means the fullest possible type of joy. The most joy, the greatest joy, the deepest, realest joy can be experienced only in God's presence. That's why you need time in God's presence. You want more happiness in your life? Get to church. Get with God's people. Worship the Lord. And you can worship him at home, in your car. Just spend time in his presence. In Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many of you were glad to come to church today? 
How many of you were not glad to come to church today? It's okay. You can be honest, right? Anybody, anybody here? No one in Mesa? Okay. That's good. All right. Or you're not being honest. That's all right. God will forgive you for lying. <laughs> some days you don't feel like going to church. Can I be real? Like some days you'd rather see kickoff live versus DVRing it like I do. That's the story of my life. Some days you'd rather sleep for an extra hour and you think that sleeping a little longer would make you happier, but actually nothing can bring lasting pleasure to your life like time in God's presence, right? You might watch a great game, the Cardinals beating the Seahawks, nothing better, but (laughs) that joy, (laughs) that joy will fade. But time in God's presence, that joy carries you through the week, everything you might face, right? Spending time with other believers, it doubles your joy and it halves your sorrows. His presence, it also brings power to our weakness. In Acts chapter two, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all, what's that word? Together in one place. They were together like Jesus told them to, waiting for what Jesus promised them. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and a lot of you know the story, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out, tongues of fire came from heaven and were above everybody's head and people were speaking in tongues. And the purpose of the day of Pentecost wasn't just so that Christians could pray in tongues, although that's a benefit, it was to give Christians power they need to live for Christ day in and day out in a world that hates the message of Christ, and we need his power. The weaker you feel, the more you need to be in God's presence, the more you need that. I see another example of this in 1 Corinthians verse five. I kind of abbreviated this passage, but it says, when you are assembled, that's together, in the name of the Lord Jesus, with the power of our Lord Jesus. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. There's something about coming together, assembled in the name of Jesus, that brings the power of Jesus. The more tired you are, the more you need to go to church. The more you feel weak, the more you need the power that comes from being in God's presence. And then one thing I love about God's presence is it softens hard hearts. It softens hard hearts. We read this verse, 1 Corinthians 14, but if you are all prophesying or proclaiming or declaring the truth, and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, your church service, they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. You see the principle here? This pattern that we saw, Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, I'm there among them. Here you see that principle again. When we're all together prophesying, proclaiming the good news, even lost people will be able to sense the presence of God and declare God is here among you. And when he shows up, he does what he said he would do. In Ezekiel 36, God says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. When you give your life to Jesus, God performs open heart surgery on you. And he takes out your hard, corrupted, stony, sinful, selfish heart. And he replaces it with a tender, responsive heart that receives the good things of God and recognizes his will. I got an email from a lady named Erica this week. 
And she said, hi, Pastor Ryan. I love the series we're doing on praise and worship. She said, I was an atheist for years until Christ saved me just a few years ago. Even when I started attending church, I didn't understand why people, why people were so weird holding their hands up. How many weird people we got here today? I love worshiping the Lord. Weird people holding their hands up. I would sing, but kept it low key. Real quick, just pause, time out. See, here is an atheist singing. Some of you are getting out worshiped by atheists. Don't be that guy. There started to be times where everyone in church was worshiping God with passion. The praise of God's people changes the atmosphere. Say it again for the people in the back. The praise of God's people changes the atmosphere. See, one of the things I teach the leaders in our church is you're not a thermometer, you're a thermostat. You don't respond to the temperature of the room. You set the temperature of the room. When you worship the Lord, it changes the atmosphere. You can change the atmosphere with your praise. She said, for about three months, the Lord used these times to touch my heart in a different way. I just start crying endlessly while singing, and I didn't know why. Looking back, I believe he was pushing out the hurt and pain in my heart and filling it up with his agape love. I started raising my hands and surrender to him, and he actually audibly said to me during heartfelt worship, lift your head, daughter. Doesn't that just sound like something God would say? It does. Those words dropped me to my knees, but also changed how I see myself. I wanted to share this because maybe someone else has hurt and needs healing as I did. Praise and worship opens our hearts and allows him to heal us and speak to us. We do it for him, yet he uses it to love on us. And it shows his true nature. That is so prophetically true. We lift up worship for him and to him, but like everything God tells us to do, we do it for him, but he uses it to bless us. The praise of God's people changes the atmosphere because the praise of God's people attracts God's presence. I want to teach you this, 2 Chronicles 5. This is where the sermon gets good. It says, there, before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats, and cattle that no one could keep count. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Okay, so here's what was happening. Up until this point, God's people, they had been wandering in the wilderness for many years. Then God gave them their own homeland. And up until that point, they had a temporary portable 
place of worship called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. You would set it up, tear it down, and move on to the next place. Then God built this temple. It was a permanent temple, the temple of Solomon. David wanted to build it, but his son Solomon is the one who got to build it. And here they are at the end of this construction process, just like we're doing a construction project out in front of Mesa building right now. And this day has come to dedicate the temple to God and begin using it in worship. So here we see in this passage a pattern. God showed me a process that draws his presence to us in worship, a way we can experience being in his presence. So I want to show it to you. First, they start by bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And the word Ark in Hebrew, it communicates the idea of it's a container, It's a container. So you see that Noah and his family were rescued from the flood that destroyed the earth in Genesis. God put them in the ark, and they were saved. An ark is often used as a reference to a coffin in Hebrew where they would place a body. It's a container. But then there was this ark of the covenant, and they put certain things in it like the Ten Commandments. And this is where God's presence dwelt. When they tore down the tabernacle and they moved on to the next place, the priests would carry the ark on poles because they couldn't touch it because it was holy. And if you touched it as a sinful person, you would die. It's where God's presence dwell. And so here they are dedicating the temple. The first thing they do is they bring in the ark of the covenant. They're bringing the container where God's spirit rested into the temple. Okay. So when I was a little kid and I was watching Indiana Jones, I remember thinking like, dude, it would be so cool to find the ark of the covenant. Think about how cool that would be. You know, some archaeologist over in the Middle East, and he's like digging one day, and there it is, the ark, whoa. And like as a tourist, you know, we would go, we'd go see it and how cool it would be. I thought, man, it'd be so sweet if we had the ark of the covenant, how awesome that would be. And and what I realized is we don't need it because we got billions of arks, arks named Amy, Ryan, Jessica, Justin, Andy, Jesse, Matt, all y'all are now containers for the Spirit of God. You are now the mobile dwelling place where God has placed his spirit. And everywhere you go, God's presence goes with you. This is why when we come together as a church, it's like all these thousands of walking, talking, breathing arcs Carry God's spirit into this place where we're going to worship him together. You see this? Here's the second thing. You see, then they offer sacrifices, sheep, goats, cattle, more than anyone could count. And this is a representation, these offerings of financial giving. And so every time we come together, we talk about giving. A lot of you give online. Some of you give in the room. And maybe you think we give just to keep the lights on, but that's not why. We give as an act of worship. It's an act of worship to give financially to the Lord. Have any of you noticed yet or connected this, that before we started this series on worship, I spent five weeks teaching our church about handling money God's way? When we did that series, hundreds of families in our church started tithing and giving generously 
to the Lord. And a lot of people said, I used to struggle with that, but God convicted me and now I'm doing it. I'm already hearing so many great praise reports of how God is blessing people because what happens is whenever we honor God, it results in blessing. During that series, so many families and people started tithing. And that's so significant. You see, we had to deal with that before we could do this. Because God is not gonna pour his presence out on people in a special way who are robbing him of tithes and offerings. In Malachi 3, that passage about returning the tithe to God, God said, return to me and I will return to you. And the people said, well, how can we return to you? And God said, in tithes and offerings. He said, you're robbing me. And when we return our tithe to God, he returns his manifest presence to us. When people start honoring God with their finances, it results in revival among his people. It's not just about the church budget. It's about God's blessing in your life, which can only happen when you honor him with every part of your life. And now that as a church, so many people have said, yes, I want to honor God with my finances. I want to put him first in my finances. That sets us up for revival where God says, I'm gonna return to you and pour out a blessing so great you can't take it in. That's not just about receiving God's financial blessing in your life, but in all kinds of ways. One of the ways we'll see a harvest of souls saved in our community. And it starts with God working through you. You know, our church is several thousand people large now, three, 4,000 people, but really I think of y'all as just the core group. You're just the core group. God's gonna use you to work through you and save, reach, change so many lives in the years to come. But he's setting you up. These series that we're teaching through right now, these are strengthening you and taking you deeper in your relationship with the Lord. So when you return the tithe like that, like so many of you just started doing, God's manifest presence shows up. And then here's the third thing you see in that passage. After all the financial offerings and sacrifices, then the people lifted up a sacrifice of praise. And the worship team struck up, the band started playing, the instruments started going, the priest started singing, he is good and his faithful love endures forever. And the Bible specifically tells us at that moment, the glorious presence of God filled the temple like a cloud And it just got thicker and thicker, so thick, they couldn't even keep having church service. This cloud just started to to just show up. And they they couldn't even see, they couldn't even have church because there's just so much of God's presence thickly in that place. Everywhere they were looking, just God's presence was made manifest. And it was when they praised his name that he made his presence manifest among the people. I wanna encourage you in this. When we raise our voices to God and we sing loud, we lift up our hearts, when we lift up our hands, when we clap, when we worship, when we dance, right? We're lifting up a sacrifice of praise to God. And I wanna emphasize the word sacrifice. In our last series on handling money God's way, I said, God doesn't want a tip. He wants a tithe. A tip is something 
you give to express appreciation to someone who serves you. A tithe is what you give to honor the one you serve. A tithe is the best portion. It's the first portion. When it comes to worship, don't tip God with your worship. Bring God your best worship. Don't give him a little going through the motions, like a little piddly, like, yay, Jesus, you're super good. We're getting bolder and louder, sure thing. I'm gonna tip. Don't do that, right? right? I, want, I wanna challenge you in this. When you sit down at the end of worship and you get ready to receive the sermon, you should be tired. You should be tired. Lift up a sacrifice of praise to the point it actually costs you something. Costs you some sweat, maybe some blood. Ow. You sit down, you should be spent. I'm actually jealous of you guys because on Sundays the worship is so good and God's presence is so real and you can feel it, but I have to actually hold back a little bit because I got to save my energy so I can preach four times. You guys don't have to worry about that. You can just put it all out. You can go home hoarse, lost your voice. You need a nap because you're so tired because you put it all out there before God, lifting up a sacrifice of praise. You, you, you know, if you walked into a room and, and you know one person was like, Sup. And another person said, hey, I'm so excited to see you. I can't believe you're here. Like, who are you going to want to spend time with? <laughs> Where do you think you get that? We are made in the image of God and in his likeness. That's the same way God feels. You think he wants to spend time with the person who's like, sup, God? Or the person who's like, I love you. I'm so happy to see you. I wanted this so bad. That's what God wants. He wants our praise, and it needs to be a sacrifice. The more you lift up a sacrifice, the more you're going to experience God's manifest presence. I, I, I think about worship now, and I can't help but sometimes imagine what worship will be like then when we'll be in heaven. All together, all the saints, everyone who's ever believed in Jesus throughout history, all the billions of us will be there, will come together. That, that, that first worship celebration in heaven after Jesus returns and establishes total victory and the kingdom of heaven has come to earth, I feel like we'll have, we'll have that big first celebration special gathering. This is just my imagination. The Bible doesn't talk about this, but I just I imagine things. And we'll come together the biggest gathering place you've ever seen, bigger than anything you could imagine. All the billions of Christians will be there. And then in the middle, there'll be the throne. Jesus will come out on the stage. And we'll all be there and the band will start going. And we'll, yes, we'll be worshiping. All oh, hail King Jesus. We'll be singing. We'll be praising him. We'll be celebrating the victory. Think about that, right? And, and there won't be any guy there who's like, I'm worshiping in my heart. Come on, get out of here with that. Get out of No, because God's presence will be so clear. Jesus will be right there, and so it'll be so easy to worship him. But you realize that he's here now among his people? 
He's here now. Sometimes when we're worshiping in church, I just imagine Jesus walking in the room and just coming up on stage in the middle of all the worship leaders and just (laughs) receiving the praises of his people. But it'll be even better when we get to heaven, right? Because there'll be no more sin or death or sickness. But I want you to understand this, that our worship today is a reflection of heaven's worship. Sometimes on Facebook, we'll share little video clips of our church, and they'll show little clips and scenes of of worship services and kids at kids' church and people hugging. And it cracks me up, you know, some of the negative people in our world. There's There's always someone. There's always someone who comments and says, that's not church. They see, you know, like our lights and the screen and people dancing and having a good time. They say, that's not worship. It's always a mean lady with a cat in her profile picture, you know. (laughs) There's always some negative Nancy who's like, that's not church. That looks like a rock concert. Church isn't supposed to look like a rock concert. I'm like, huh. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. You see all these, all these lights. We've got lights here and this screen and we've got smoke machines and all this stuff and subwoofers and speakers. Some people think that we're trying to be like a rock concert when in reality rock concerts are trying to be like us. All that we are doing in here is a reflection of heaven's worship. Not even a lot of pastors realize this. They think that all of this is just us trying to be relevant and reach people in the world in a way they can relate to. And in some ways, there might be some truth to that, but that's not actually the main reason. All of this is actually a reflection of heaven's worship. I want to show you this. Revelation chapter four says, and instantly I was in the spirit. This is the disciple John who has a vision of heaven. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Cornelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In Revelation 14, it says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had the name of his father, father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in, he- in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. Okay, so, so just imagine like the throne room of heaven and the image that you get, this picture of heaven, a throne, there's flashing colors, bright lights, kind of like this, right? You just kind of get this, this image. There's smoke when the presence of God is made manifest. There are colors, there's flashing. And, and then we see that, that in the this passage it talks about sounds like the crashing of a mighty wave right it kind of yeah it kind of sounds like that I think and then 
And then because we have subwoofers up here, I love the subwoofers, you can't have too many, you kind of get like the deep rolling of thunder. And, and then we get lights, we got sparkling lights, moving lights, we got flashing. See, see, really what I want you to realize is that because of modern technology, we're able to recreate worship environments today that are closer reflections of heaven than any generation of Christians who have ever lived. And we're not lifting it up to talk. We're not, we're not celebrating. All, we don't have all these lights singing about the highway to hell, sex, glorifying ourselves. All of this is like heaven. And we're using these instruments to lift up glory to Jesus. And see, the world is a reflection of Satan, the father of lies, who is a counterfeiter. So he takes the good things of God, all these elements of what will be in heaven, and he counterfeits them and uses them in secular worship rock concerts, sporting events, and he's drawing on the good things of God to recreate worship focused in the wrong places. We use these instruments as a reflection of what is in heaven to lift up the name of Jesus and glorify him in spirit and in truth. And this looks more like heaven than any worship that has ever existed. We're so privileged we get to do this today. And so I wanna close with this. In heaven, one of the greatest things is that sin cannot exist there. It won't be a struggle any longer. But we still struggle with sin in this life. And so I want you to understand this, that sin will either cancel or catalyze your worship. You've got to realize this. We're all, we're all going to struggle with sin at one point or another. And I asked on social media, why don't more people engage in worship? And one of the most common responses was, I think people, they feel guilty because of their sins and that inhibits their worship because they don't feel good enough or qualified to worship God that way. And that's based on a misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then... Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has entered heaven, his name is Jesus, he is the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So the word of God, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires and the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our own sin. So as a Christian, when you have sin in your life, the spirit of God lovingly calls that out so that you can come back to God and have a restored relationship with him, fully engaging in what he has called you to. You feel that conviction sometimes. The Holy Spirit lovingly corrects you and says, that's not right. That's not what God has for you. God has something 
better for you. It's very different than how the devil condemns you. The devil condemns you and your identity. And he says, you're worthless. You're good for nothing. God could never love you. That's condemnation, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit lovingly convicts you and calls you back to closeness with God. And the only way you can have restored intimacy with God is through repentance. So when you sin like we all do, you've got to repent the way we all should. And the way you do that is you ask God for forgiveness. You say, God, forgive me. I own my sin. I take responsibility, but I plead the blood of Christ. I receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm facing you. I'm focused on you and I'm following you from this point forward. And if you will repent of sin, it will catalyze your worship. If you come to church and you sing to God, but you have ongoing, willing, unrepentant sin in your life, it will cancel your worship. Because here's what happens. The Holy Spirit tries to convict you and says, hey, stop doing that, man. There's a better way. That's not God's best for you. And so your choices are either repent or ignore him. And some people, they turn his voice down. They turn the volume down on the Holy Spirit's conviction. If you keep worshiping and pretending like everything is good with God when you have unrepentant sin in your life, it's like you're searing the nerve endings of your spirit. Eventually, you'll start to feel God less and less, and you'll hear God less and less as you've turned his voice down. It's when you respond to his conviction and repent that intimacy is restored with God and you can come fully into his presence. And the more God has forgiven you of, the more you have reason to worship him. So with repentance, sin can catalyze your worship and lead to even greater levels of passion and worship. Without repentance, sin will cancel your worship and inhibit your experience and ability to be in God's presence. So I want to close with that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's get ready to respond to this message. And first, I want to do this. If you have sin in your life, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe there's been some sin that the Holy Spirit's been trying to convict you of and you've been ignoring him, but right now you say, I'm done with that. I want to repent and turn to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's do that right now. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, pray this with me and just say, God, I need forgiveness. I confess my sin. And I believe that through Jesus' death on the cross, I am forgiven of sin. By his blood that was shed, I am cleansed. And I believe that through his resurrection power, I receive victory in Jesus' name, I'm going to stand in victory as a child of God and follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.